hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to his word proclaimed. Oh God, sometimes it's good just to let our souls be still. To allow the busyness that, that hums around us to, to just be quiet. So that we may rest in your presence. And allow your spirit to guide us and to lead us. And that's so we may hear your Spirit's call on our lives. So, Lord, at this time, we ask that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. So I have been thinking about this, and one of the things that I've, one of the many things that I think about in relation to this new series that we're starting, is that I cannot think of a single person, when they start out, they, they want to ruin their lives. They, 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 they want a whole bunch of bad things to happen to them. Everybody, when they think about what it is that they want to achieve as a person, they, they want good things to happen, and they, and they want to be happy. There's a, a recent survey of, of people that were asked about their parents, and the question was, what did your parents want most, most from you, for you? Let me say that again. What did your parents want most for you? Success, wealth, to be a good person, or happiness? And, and the overwhelming response by 85% said that what their parents wanted most from them is to be happy. And we want happiness in, in, in their lives. And I, I can look at my, my mom and dad. I know that they wanted me to be happy too. They wanted me to make good choices, of course. But in making those good choices, they wanted me to be happy in my life. But then something comes along and, and, and plays around with that. And, and that something that comes around is, is narratives. And these narratives are, are the way that we start to take a look at, at life around us and, and how we respond to different, different, different people or, or different situations. And, and one of those first narratives that, that we have to deal with or, or that we start to deal with are those narratives that we have about God. Now, last Lenten season, we talked about those narratives in our Lenten series that led up to Easter last year. And we talked about how a lot of us have different ways that we view God. We, we look at God as somebody that doesn't care, that God is a mean judge, and, and God is unknowable. And then we looked at how we replace those narratives with the true narratives that we have about God, that God deeply loves us, that we are forgiven by God, and that we are raised to new life in Jesus Christ. 
this year we're going to talk a little bit more about narratives through this season of Lent, but we're going to talk more about those personal narratives, those, those narratives that, that we have about us. So we're going to go ahead and start off by saying the false narrative that we are going to talk about today is that happiness comes from following the principles of this world to do what it takes to get ahead. He who dies with the most toys wins. And most importantly, watch out for number one. See, if you're looking at those narratives, you can see how they, to me, whenever I say those things, they give me a lot of angst. Because it's all me-centric, it's all me-focused. But what if we take a look at what narrative that we should live at that is given to us by Jesus? And that narrative is that happiness comes by knowing that the kingdom of God is here. That the kingdom of God is something that, that we can live in and, and enjoy right here and right now. See, that is something that Jesus talked about over and over again in the Gospels. Over a hundred times throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus talking about how the kingdom of God has come, or the kingdom of heaven has come near. All of those things were something that Jesus wanted to make sure that we knew. He started out his ministry in, in Matthew chapter 4, 17 with these words, repent, for the time has come, for, I'm sorry, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I'm going to say that all one more time. Matthew 4, 17 says, from that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, there is, there is a certain fear, if you will, about that first word, repent. When we take a look at the word repent, we, we have a tendency to think about it, how we better shape up or how, how we better change what we are doing. And while there is a point of that in the word repent, it means something a whole lot more. The, the Greek word for repent is metanoia. And it doesn't mean just shape up, but it means it's giving us an invitation, a, an invitation to an interactive life with God. It, it's a way for us to change our thinking so that we could live a life with God in our midst. So after Jesus gives us these words, he then settles down into his most influential teaching that is in the gospel. And that teaching is the Sermon on the Mount. And, and throughout those three chapters in, in the book of Matthew, we get Jesus' main point on how we are to, to live our lives so that we can have that metanoia moment, where, where we can turn from the lives that we are currently living to turn and live a life in the kingdom. Now, we may be familiar with parts of the Sermon on the Mount, especially right there at the beginning that have the, the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. But there's a whole lot more that, that is within the Sermon on the Mount, and these little tidbits, if you will, of what Jesus gives us allows us to hopefully turn our narratives around so that we can fully live in the kingdom of God. Words about anger, 
words about lust, words about worry, about greed, about jealousy, all of these things that, that Jesus has given us so that we can fully live in the kingdom prepared for us. So we're going to tackle that first one, anger, today. Anger is one that I know I have to deal with a lot in my own life, and these words from Jesus helps guide us. From Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Wow. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. See, Jesus not only just reminds us and gives us these words to, to reinforce what we have in the Old Testament, but he, he kicks it up a notch. And he gives us these words for us to take a look at so we can have that full turn or, or that, that metanoia moment so that we can live peacefully in God's kingdom. So what does anger mean? Well, if we were to go to the generic definition of anger from Webster's Dictionary, it says that anger is a strong feeling of being upset or annoyed. It's a strong feeling of being upset and annoyed. I love the movie Inside Out and anger from that movie, just how he would just be set off like that. And sometimes that happens with our lives too, doesn't it? Sometimes it's easy for us to get set off, but it, it's more than just a feeling. If I think of anger, I think anger has to do more with fear than anything else. When we get angry, it's because we've lost control. Or maybe there's been an unmet expectation that that hasn't uh, been able to play out for us. And all of that, including with fear, makes us angry. So there are false narratives that, that come along with what it does to us when we are angry. The first narrative that plays into this is I'm alone. When we feel like we are alone or, or left out, we can become angry. When we feel like that we must be in control all of the time, that feeds in to anger. Or if something terrible happens when we make a mistake, or that life must always be fair and just. And then the final one, which is one that I have to deal with a lot of my own life, I need to be perfect all the time. When, when I cannot live into these narratives, anger pops up. And, and it pops up in two different ways. First, there, there's visceral anger. 
And visceral anger is that one thing that happens like, let's set you off immediately. And the best way to talk about that, and I think all of us who drive have had this happen to us one time or another, is when we get cut off. <laughs> I don't even want to hear what you said, Jimmy. I'll check you later after the service. But, you know, when we get cut off, there's something that, that sparks up inside of us, and we get so mad and, and, and just self-righteous. How dare they do something like that? Or maybe if you're at a grocery store and, and, and you see like a short line, so you go in and you're waiting there, and the line that had several people moves a whole lot faster than you're moving, and you get mad because you go, how in the world is this line moving so slow because I'm the next person and I should be through the line already? See, that is visceral anger. And we're able to sometimes just dust that off and, and, and let that go as just something that's happened to us in a moment. But then there is meditative anger. And what meditative anger is, it's when you allow things to build up, where, where one thing stacks on top of another, and then another, and then another. And the next thing you know, you blow up. And you get so upset and you get so enraged. And that not only affects you, but it affects the people around you. And my friends, I will have to admit, that is the type of anger that gets me all the time. I've raised in a family that you just kind of push down your anger. And you let things just kind of slide by, but then it never fails that time and time again, something else builds upon something else. And the next thing, a big explosion. Now, I think I've told this story before to uh, some of you, but maybe not all of you. So if you've heard this before, please forgive me or, or laugh at my expense again. And for those of you who are new, here is a great example of, of what I'm talking about. Several years ago, I went on a mission trip down to the New Orleans area. And I was so looking forward to this trip because I've never been to New Orleans or, or down to that part of the coast. And, and we were working on several homes within uh, the area. But this mission trip was a whole lot different than other trips that I've been a part of. It was not put together well at all. We got there to the site and and the, the people that were running it together, they weren't all put together. They had no idea where they wanted to put us to, to work and stuff like that. Then we had a flat tire, so I had to deal with all of that. Then as we were working during the week, one of the crews were working on a, uh, a high uh, porch around a house because of a hurricane uh, restrictions and stuff. And they had a circular saw up on the, uh, the, the porch, and somebody kicked it, and it fell down and came very close to hitting one of my youth that were walking around underneath. And so that, that made me angry, so I was able to calm it down. Then I found out that my, our, our middle son, Tim, was on another roof at another house and slipped on the tar paper that was on top of the roof and almost fell off onto these rebars that were that were up, and they shouldn't have been on that top of that house anyway, so that was another thing. And then finally, we went to New Orleans, and that was just a whole different experience there. Not exactly what I was expecting, but I should have been. So I was building up all of these things while we were doing this trip, and we finally made it home. 
And I was so excited. We got all of the kids off the vans, and they were headed to their house, and I took the van that I was driving to the uh, rental place where I received it. And I called the rental place earlier because I knew that we were going to be really, really close to hitting the uh, closing time for the, for the rental company. And they said, don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll be here. And we pull up about five minutes after the place closed, and the gates were already locked. And I went, that's fine. I'll walk up to the thing. I'll knock on the door. They'll come and they'll let the van in. Nobody was there. All of the week just built up and I got so mad and I took the ball cap that I had on. I threw it down on the ground. I started kicking the ball cap. I was like, ah, I can't believe all of this. And I turn around and there's Tracy, Deborah, Tim, and Jacob all like this. <laughs> They were laughing at me. And, and one of the things when you get laughed at, two things could happen. You can either get more upset because people are making fun of you, or you can just release it and go, you know, overall, it was a good trip. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got lost. We, we did the work that we were supposed to do, and we are home safe. So not being able to return the van five minutes after the, the place closed doesn't mean anything. And still today, my kids and Tracy still laugh at me because of my little hissy fit. But it's a reminder that we all do that. We all let anger build up in our lives because of, of expectations that we hold ourselves to that are dangerous, that are, are ways that we uh, forget we're just human, and we are just called to live life with one another. I love the words that Paul says in Ephesians 4, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. He says, be angry without sinning. Do not let the sun set on your anger. Don't provide an opportunity for the devil. So when we come to anger moments, we need to start looking at it and say, how can I make this a, a metanoia moment? What I mean by that, bad, I mean, how do we make this a moment where I can turn from the way that I normally live our life and not make it a judgmental moment? See, Jesus knows the human heart. And Jesus knows that the heart's primary concern is how to protect ourselves and not necessarily our outward actions. But Jesus isn't asking us to just change things. Jesus is asking us to, to take a look at life differently and see the true narratives that are really behind what is going on. So instead of looking and saying that I am alone, we realize that we're never alone, that Jesus is with us always. Instead of looking and saying that I must be in control all the time, we need to realize that Jesus is the one that is in control. Instead of thinking that something terrible will happen we'll make when, if I make a mistake, to know, yeah, mistakes happen all of the time. And things usually work out fine when those mistakes do happen. Life must always be fair and just. 
We must realize that life is not always fair and just, but, but God is the one who gets the last word. And then finally, instead of thinking that we need to be perfect all the time, we must remember that Jesus accepts me even though I am not perfect. Or in the words of Brennan Manning, that God accepts us just as we are because none of us are as we should be. That God moves in our lives and, and helps us to grow in the perfect love of God and the perfect love of our neighbors. So the question comes about, is there such thing as good anger? And the answer is yes. There is such thing as good anger. We, we see examples of that through Jesus' teachings in the Gospels. First, in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus is, is with the Pharisees and his disciples in the temple. And, and the Pharisees and the scribes are trying to figure out exactly how they can trap Jesus in a moment. And a man comes in with a, with a shriveled up hand, and they're waiting to see what Jesus does. And the verse 3, 5 says that Jesus looks at them in anger, and he reaches out, and he heals this man. Because it is better to do mercy on the Sabbath than to follow the rules of man. And then with the famous story, when Jesus drives out the money changers in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus is there and he sees that they're placed all of these selling places where they're selling doves and exchanging money. They're doing anything and everything they can to, to turn a prophet in God's house. And he says, God's house is not a, a house of thieves, but it's where true worship happens where, where God can come and guide and lead us. See, it's important for us to remember that living in God's kingdom calls us to get angry at things that makes God angry and, and, and to move in a way that brings justice and love and mercy. So that brings us to our soul training exercises for this first week of Lent. There's a piece of paper in your bulletin that I invite you to take home to, to take a look at. And let me give you some, some hints about these soul training exercises. You know, use it as a guide, as a start to your walk with Christ. Practice creativity. Don't trap yourself in saying that I have to do it in a specific way, but use this as a way to step into God's love and grace. Use this as a starting place and then allow the Holy Spirit to guide you and move you as we practice Sabbath. I love Sabbath, but I used to not love Sabbath. I always had to be moving, always had to be going, but there's something about just pausing and resting and allowing God to speak into our lives that allows us to let go of anger, to let go of that need to be in control and to allow God to, to speak his grace and love through us. There are many different ways that we can do that. Get your family together to play games. Uh, try not to eat out. And the reason why I say that is because it causes other people to work for you. You know, take time to prepare meals at home and just relax as you're together. Take time to read a book. Invite others to come and experience that time of rest together. 
It, it, there's, a, there's a common question about uh, keeping of the Sabbath of what day is important to do that. And Sunday is usually the day that is, that is set aside for Sabbath. And one of the questions that I always get, especially since we're coming up on NASCAR season, what about all those NASCAR racers that have to race on Sundays? I said, well, hopefully they take a Sabbath on a different day. You know, just because we are usually tying Sabbath to Sunday doesn't mean you have to take your Sabbath on Sunday. Me personally, the way that I do Sabbath is that I usually stop at uh, Friday Friday evenings, and I take my Sabbath through Saturday evening. That way Tracy and I can have the time together to enjoy and relax and to unplug together and to allow God's grace to, to move in our lives together as a couple. But another great way to practice Sabbath is when we come to this table, when we experience together the uh, pouring of the cup and the breaking of the bread, when we allow ourselves to come freely to the table and say, God, I need your grace to fill me at this moment. As I come forward, I'm laying aside all of the anxiety, all of the fear, all of the, the need to have all of the answers aside. And I want you to fill me with your love and your grace. So my friends, as we come to the table, I invite you to practice Sabbath. Before you leave your pews, take a moment and say, God, how can I give myself fully to you during this time? What do I need to lay down at the cross in order so that I may receive your grace fully in my life? And I want you to know that it's not a rule or it's not a a, a set thing that we do, but it's an opportunity for us to turn and feel God's grace in our lives so that we may live fully in his kingdom. Let us pray. Oh God, you have given us your love and your grace. And as we prepare to come to this table, allow your grace to speak into our lives. Help us to let go of those things that anger us, those things that draw us farther away from you. And help us to use what you have given us so that we may draw closer to you and closer to our neighbor. So, Lord, we lift these things to you in the name of the one who loves us and cares for us, Jesus our Lord. Amen.